0: Hey there everybody, new listeners and old, I'm going to be doing a redo of the first episode now that people have had a full time to review it. This is going to be a full review of the episode, going through all the content the same way I would have done before, but a bit better edited and a bit more presentable, you would say. Okay, we're going to be discussing today. What are we going to be discussing today? My podcast, my new podcast. Today, we're going to be covering over politics and unsavory strategy, the way in which I'm going to be covering this unsavory strategy, whatever it may be, and whatever I may say is by going over first some basic ways in which you can subvert the most prominent area for discussion nowadays, which is the political forum, whether it be digital or physical. We're going to be focusing on mainly political forum. And in that regard, most of these come from base uses inside an image board. If you don't know what that is, then 4chan or 8chan are examples of image boards. So let's get to it. Alrighty, let's get started. So first of all, we're going to be starting with forum sliding. Now, what is forum sliding? Let me give you a picture. Forum sliding is to generate a controversial or non-controversial thread. Thread being, you know, the threads of discussion inside a forum, an image board, uh, any posting, social media board, and you enter important or interesting discussions and you flood the initial threads to move important or interesting discussion further back in the pages. So let's go over that again, okay? So first you need to generate a controversial or non-controversial thread. Controversial or non-controversial here is relative towards the community which you're trying to subvert. So that means that you can generate controversy or you can generate non-controversial things. And by that meaning, you can have a thread that is regarded to be completely against the grain or enough to be in the case that it is manageably discussable, but is highly contentious. There's a lot going on with the topic and there's a lot to be said and talked about. And it's something at the forefront of current political issues or something that has been put forward of something vaguely political in the world world, maybe an existing cold case of a problem that you want to talk and solve, like an old philosophy problem, or an old mathematics problem, or non-controversial threats. So non-controversial would be things that have a lot of allure to them, uh, things that are pretty much set in stone in the community that you're in, and that causing controversy in them will obviously show a dissenter. Something that lures people in. It has to be attractive. That's one of the main features. It has to be attractive. If it's not attractive, then it won't lure people in. And by meaning to be attractive, I really do mean attractive. So what you want to be doing is you want to be doing things that really key into the psyche that is most likely to be approached. And by the way, I should mention, sex does sell. There is a method by which you can simply, in an image board, gain some form of attention by using images of people, we're going to go with women, attractive women, because the majority of people who use the sort of forum you're in when it's doing this in the scenario that is most commonly used for this sort of exercise will more than likely be men. With all of this considered, you need to enter important or interesting discussions. So important or interesting, important or interesting would be discussions that are prioritized in accordance to how we would perceive an important issue to be tackled, such as a current issue of our times or something that can move forward the group consensus into the sphere of effectiveness, efficaciousness i would say it is something that when come to a conclusion on the community that is discussing it or rather the group effort that is discussing it will have an outlook that they can work upon and they can move forward with alternatively interesting discussions so discussions that really perk the interest and the intrigue of people so the ones that people will enter into if they have a lot of particular knowledge about something maybe it's academic maybe it's defining of something maybe it's uh, undefined that sort of thing then you need to flood the initial threads to move important or interesting discussion further back in pages now what does that mean you get the initial threads and you are inside the important or interesting threads the discussions And then by being in the initial threads that are controversial or non-controversial, you basically explode conversation. And this is important. This goes back to what I said before, sex sells. Sex is a very easy way to do this. Have a picture of a really attractive person on the front. Maybe it's somebody who's not even attractive. Maybe it's just something that's provocative, sexually suggestive. And then a time-wasting irrelevant question is a good way to put it, as the base question to start things off. Something that is very open-ended, something that's very big question to answer, something that is maybe something that will cause a lot of controversy or no controversy at all, but is instead a really big question. It needs to be attractive and it needs to keep rolling. So you flood these threads and therefore you take advantage of not only the prevalence of the replies and the interest that it will get by people searching for the one that has the most activity. You will then game the bump limit, which means the limit of how many times a thread can be posted into before it stops being available, the cap of posts, and the bump is when you post on it you put it to the forefront of the selected bump limit sorted threads, which is a basis of a lot of image boards of how they do things. By doing all this, you move important or interesting discussion further back in pages. So because everyone's so focused upon what you initially put there, you move the important, interesting, the, the stuff that matters back into the pages, the logs that people will less likely to go, because the further back in pages something is, the less likely it will be that people will access it. It's too far back, it's too inconvenient, and they want to look at things that are on the front. You know the front page effect. Second is considering consensus cracking. So with consensus cracking, you need to submit a weak premise argument in opponent's favor, and then you have another poster of yours debunk it. What this does is it seeds doubt. If I go out there and I start the argument for particularly a controversial topic, which may be the weakest arguments available towards a group that you're trying to target or a peripheral group to that group that has been supportive, what you want to do with this scenario is when you present the weak premise argument, you'd be totally genuine. You come from a place of total genuine Like it seems like authenticity, like a normal person would present it. Don't pretend to be an idiot, don't pretend to be a fool. You may think of your enemy as a fool or an idiot for making this point, but don't pretend to be one. Just act accordingly to how normal people would speak. Don't talk like, oh yeah, this shit doesn't seem right. It's kind of fucked. Like, I don't really agree because, like, uh, uh." the other day I was doing it and it didn't happen for me. Like, that's dumb. Instead, you need to pull out the real trivium of things and you need to pick the arguments that can be really easily picked apart the arguments that stand on toothpicks instead of wooden stilts then After that, you need to have another poster of yours debunk it. So you need to have someone in the same thread of discussion who is allied with you debunk it with reliable and valuable knowledge. Now, it doesn't actually mean that you can prove whether or not it is the truth or a lie. When we're talking about debunking something, we don't mean it in the genuine sense of the word. We mean in the sense that what you have done is that you've taken down that point. You haven't debunked the overall point there may be. You haven't debunked the overall thing that may be an inconvenience to you, an inconvenient truth. What you have done is you have effectively gotten rid of the information that is prevalent, that is there, and thus the people who witness it will be seeded doubt, and the doubt will do the work for you. Remember, the reality is in court that being in court does not mean that you are required to necessarily prove the truth. The reality is that you are required to prove or disprove reasonable doubt, and in that regard, if you're proving or disproving reasonable doubt, you are looking at the information, and you are using all the effort you can to prove or disprove something, regardless of whether or not you actually arrive at the truth at the end. It's dirty. But this is how people do these things. They consensus crack by using the weak stuff and then countering it with what seems to be a bit stronger, regardless of whether or not the point that is made is actually accurate and true. I believe Trump made a comment on this. He said that he wanted the truth, not the facts. If you understand what that means, then you understand what I'm talking about. Number three is topic dilution which is achieved by trolling or by providing unrelated nonsense or highly contentious resources and statements in important or interesting topic discussion. So you enter an important or interesting topic discussion, and then you troll. And we all know what trolling is. Or you provide unrelated nonsense or highly contentious resources. If the content is unrelated, then people will take the time to correct you regardless of whether or not they actually acknowledge and fall for the bait. If it's nonsense, then it's nonsense. If it's nonsense, people might actually agree with you because they may see it in more of an abstract fashion, or they may be the one the nonsense may bring out the kooks from the shadows or it has to be a highly contentious resource so if it's a highly contentious resource it is like the idea of trying to go to a blog that was started by a communist when you are talking about the holodomal or a blog was started by a nazi that when talking about the holocaust you understand information collection is the next one data collection baiting or simply providing reason for the poster to provide intelligence about themselves or their resources so you study the reality actions this one seems to be the initiative of a lot of federal agencies because this makes it easier for investigation you get an understanding you get data and then you can do analytics and then you can understand who your people are who you're supposed to be targeting who are your prey effectively so who is the threat in other words data collection baiting or simply providing reason for the poster to provide intelligence about themselves or their resources i say that again word for word because you must understand there is baiting is a lot of this and they will bait you if you are a victim of this they will put it out there In the form of a very attractive girl who's into guns, or the form of a very attractive girl who's into the revolution, the form of a very attractive guy who's into guns, very attractive guy who's into the revolution, that sort of thing. Again, sex sells this sort of thing, but additional to that, we have things like causes that are personal, or that is to the greater group, like the government's tyranny being posited, for an example, or the terrorism cause that may be part of an unfulfilled person's life. Really, they're playing on the personal motives to be used as data collection. And that's what you want to try and avoid if you're being a victim of this. But that's how you get an image of your enemy. You start to look at them on a personal level and you start to see what sort of cracks you can find in the stone wall Well you're simply providing reason for the poster to provide intelligence about themselves or their resources. So what spies would do, you give them reason to divulge uh, plans and particular about people, places, times, assets, etc, etc. You study the reactions. Even if it seems like it's a small thing, you study the reactions, because a reaction studied is a science taken upon. Anger trolling. Incite violence or outrage. You link controversial content to create emotional uproar from all sides. Effectively be inflammatory. This is easy. You've been inflammatory before, you've arced people up in your life, I'm going to guess, so you know how to push people's buttons. If you push people's buttons, not only do they look like they are a threat to a authoritative force that take them down, you can also act as if they started it, because they are the ones who will be more threatening. You can paint it in a light that makes you look like the victim. It'd be like acting like an idiot on purpose in order to bait out someone's malicious, murderous intent, if you understand. it to be inflammatory. And you have to cause dissent by doing this. And by causing dissent, I mean you can go against both sides. You can pit both sides against each other. This way you uh, divide and conquer. I hope I said that right. I tried. Number six is gaining full control. You work ways into positions of moderation and power to a lesser extent of power, you centralise discourse and discussion around your ideas and be ever-present. So this is pretty easy. If you want to win, then what you need to do is that you start thinking about what positions can I enter in and how crucial, essential they are to the forward political operations. If I were in this position, what changes can I make that help and support my political or my motives, any kind, affiliations. So, with a lesser extent of power, you're centralising discourse and discussion around your ideas, and thus you're basically ever-present without having to be in a sense of authority. The king and all the king's men can be there, but the preachers are the ones who speak to the people, and the preachers will say what they will to after a certain point, because the king and the king's men are nothing but swords and words to people. I won't give you any historical examples, but you understand what I mean. We're going to be moving on to the list of 64 items. 64 items, what are they? These are all methods by which political manipulation and subversion can be current inside of a political system, whether it just be the forums, or the fear of discussion, or in the positions of power that make the rules and execute the law. Something I will preface this with is that this is the kind of thing that works inside the collectivist environment. We are not speaking about you inside of a vacuum here. We are speaking about the collectivist environment. And in that regard, you need to understand no matter how smart you are, take upon the idea that the average person can be made to become a sheeple, despite how intelligent the average person actually is. Remember that. I won't teach you the method by which you can gear them in, but I can necessarily teach you what is happening, and I hope that it is of assistance to you. So, the first technique is to tell your opponent, whoever they may be, to disregard any news that didn't come from the mainstream news media. If you control the narrative around the mainstream news media, and you can control the mainstream news media in general, then ultimately what you have to yourself is a propaganda circulation system. The mainstream media breeds news, and then you have your forces counteract the news, and then you have the mainstream media cover the forces counteracting the news, and then them covering the forces counteracting the news can paint them in a hostile light, and then have anybody reference to those forces be counted as discredited because the mainstream media is the credit source, the basis credit source, the best credit source, the most accredited credit source. Because of the mainstream news media, they have everything available to them because they're mainstream and popular to fund themselves a regime, you could say. So the cathedral, if you don't know what that concept is, look it up, benefits from when you only pay attention to the mainstream news media. What you want to do is you want to make sure that people disregard any news that doesn't come from there, which means from independent bloggers, independent journalists. That means from people who are on social media who are talking about the truth all right maybe they don't have a very good point to make but they probably have some substance to it and it is blown into the wind because it's not mainstream you understand it's not mainstream so it doesn't matter number two label any viewpoint disagreeing with the government as unpatriotic you're a patriot right you support the nation the country the state as it provides for the people, that's what you support, right? Well, you don't support it because you're unpatriotic, because you don't support what is being put forward by the current government. So this works if you are not in favour of the current government, but your opponent is, then if the current government says something that is in your favour or is there to help you, you accuse the opponent who doesn't know what your true affiliation is of being unpatriotic. So you need to have them hold themselves to their vote. You need to tell them that if they don't support something, that they are unpatriotic, Or you need to make something up to say something like it's undemocratic or it's uh, un American or something like that. That's just an example. Then otherwise, if you see any viewpoint disagreeing with the government and you are in interest of that government, then you pull the same thing. But you say that you are you're a counter-revolutionary or that you are a person who is a dissenter, a rebel against the system because you disagree with it and therefore automatically that makes you bad, as well as things like calling people conspiracy theorists, calling people saying that they are making up things to discredit the credit of the obviously right and true government power. Number three is to pull the authoritarian view on knowledge and cite your experts as the only valid experts. What does that mean? So valid experts is a concept that especially happens today when there is concerns over the idea of a post-truth age, that is a post-truth age. So valid experts is saying there are invalid and valid experts, regardless of what they say or do, they are, are considered to be valid or invalid, regardless of their knowledge and credentials, they are either valid or invalid. So at what point are we validating these things? Well, in truth, it's whatever is considered to be valid by the people who support it being valid. I will tell you now that peer review is not as potent as you think it is, and genuine research and information and knowledge can be given even from an idiot, as long as they have learned it. But you will trust the scientist who tells you the same point. Why? Because they're an expert, right? And then we get into the idea of authoritarian view on knowledge, and you can exploit that without going into it. You can say that your experts are the only valid experts and you can work to discredit any experts who don't agree with you. You can work to discredit and you can uh, stifle their research and there's even research which can be done to counteract researchers who don't agree with you. You can have people who are in the institutes who are allies with you do research to quote-unquote debunk or continue research to quote-unquote debunk things and you have experts come out on the forums of political discussion inside the academic sphere of things where everyone's talking about the nitty and gritty and the down low and dirty. And you can have them come out and say that this person is an invalid expert because they have posited uh, uh, outdated information or they have have put forward information that is clearly uh, inconclusive or it's subjective or it's uh, impossible to discern an answer from the paper they published as they, you know, basically create a valid expert and then pull the authoritarian view on knowledge to then only credit those experts. Number four is to force your opponent to meticulously cite their work or disregard it entirely. I want you to tell me some things about 9-11 and if you don't source me every single thing that you are saying about what particular points may be sourced, then I will disregard your argument. That sounds absurd, right? What if I told you that people do this sometimes and they expect you to present, even when they have presented almost nothing, when they have not actually made any positive contribution, they have made a negative, they have denied something, they demand that you present to disprove them, when they say something is not so. for you. You to disprove them they demand that you give them an endless supply of evidence but you could you have to because there is only an endless supply of things to put forward to substantiate your claims because there was no claim substantiated all they have done is deny something right and if they just denied something then that's not saying anything except you're saying you don't believe it if you're denying something you still have to if you're denying something you still have to put forward something to say it cannot be the way it is you, you have to put something that proves that it is something else you can't just put it in a void and then say it's not the case. And then be expected to be believed, if you understand me. What you do is you take this to the extreme. You force your opponent, even if you didn't do this first primer, to meticulously cite their work. Cite it meticulously, academically. And if it's not meticulously academically cited, if it's not quote unquote professionally presented, if it's not academically sound in its presentation, in its formatting, in the way it's constructed, then you disregard it entirely. Now that's irrational, why would you do that? You can clearly see there are things in here to draw from. That is the entire point. There is nothing more to draw from if the entire source has been burned. Number five. Stop a topic appearing by putting barriers around it. Now what might I mean by that? Let me explain the concept of a foundation myth. A foundation myth is something by which, traveling through as a narrative to explain something in society, it has created a solid foundation for the rest of society's beliefs to be based on. A foundation myth is thus what we return to, to create the first wall the wall of the discussion where there are believers there may be naysayers and to have a foundation belief is to have the passionate believers create a foundation by which by which all the culture and all the people within it may discuss things Consequentially, this big wall is what everything is built upon, and if you deny it, you are denying the containment for what is currently happening. Putting barriers around it is like setting up a foundation myth. It doesn't need to be a myth. Instead, it could just be restrictions on what you can and can't say. So you need to put barriers around a topic. Is it deplorable? Is it disgusting? Is it inconceivable, unthinkable? What is it? Is it something we can discuss, or is it something we'd rather not discuss? Keep walling in the people who want to talk about this with further and further restrictions regarding talking about it. There is a catch to this. If you are not a big power structure, watch out. The more walls you put around people, the more likely they are to feel like the walls are closing in. Makes sense, right? Think of a frog boiling in water. Number six. Make your opponent's claim look like a conspiracy theory, a rumor, or an urban myth this extends to creating a false consensus that has been quote-unquote debunked debunking has been a popular culture for a while ever since skepticism has become popular in popular culture debunking is something that gives a sense of status to people it gives a sense that i know what you think you know and i know that it's false and i know that what you think i know is false but i am really the one who has the science or i'm the one who has the proof behind it so therefore you are the one who is incorrect and therefore wrong and therefore i am better than that sounds like basic first-year psychoanalysis, and I'm sorry if that is the case. But the reality is people do get the thrill of being debunked from believing in old myths, believing in old sayings, believing in old wisdom. Why is that? Because of urban myths. Urban myths that propagated because your mother told You, from your grandmother told them, from their grandmother told them, and the idea, and the idea around, oh my grandpappy said this, my grandpappy said that, and then I got told this, and that's the way I believe things. All this is supposed to be associated with the person not being enlightened in the age of post-enlightenment. So you need to understand that being debunked is considered to be uh, part of being in the machine of finding the proof for the truth and being debunked or debunking someone is a process by which you appeal to the public or the public gains appeal for the debunker then you have to also construe people as citing rumours people citing things as rumours can get difficult because we live in an age of a lot of high documentation so it's very easy to disprove people who just say that it's a rumour and it's very easy to be sceptical of them in the first place because saying something is just a rumour can just be something you go to without any proof at all and people may just see right through you like a pane of glass if you make your opponents claim look like a conspiracy theory however conspiracy theories is because a dirty concept. It's some dirty words. Something is a conspiracy theory. You're automatically associated with the wackos who think that everything is a conspiracy theory or that think something's so far-fetched that it's novel. It's entertaining. People see you as an entertainment device. They don't see you as someone who is really saying something of substance. Let me put this into another example. Have you ever heard the one about the clown and the fire? So there was a clown who was performing in a theater and all the people in the theatre were witnessing the act of the clown. The clown notices that there is a fire backstage. The clown enters the stage during the time period where there is supposed to be an act. The clown says to the audience, there is a fire backstage and we must evacuate now, otherwise we will be doomed to die. But the audience thinks that it's part of the act. So the audience is sitting there in a theatre that begins to light on fire, but the clown is very worried for the fire exits are not open and everything's blocked and nobody's leaving because the audience thinks, well, part of the act, isn't it? And the clown sheepishly recoils as the crowd thinks it's all part of the act and it's all laughter, it's all enjoyment, and it'll be too late, it'll be when the place is burning down and they all die within it, that they finally realise the clown was right. Is a conspiracy theory natively a bad thing? No. Do people behave like that crowd? Yes if you accuse people of being a conspiracy theorist, do we end up with a situation where the clown looks like a clown? Yes. We end up in the situation where people being construed as conspiracy theorists completely discredits their point because we automatically associate it with the fantastical act of the clown. I hope this has cleared things up for you of how this works. Number seven, equate your opponent to the extremes and use the most foolish version of that extreme. For instance, uh, if they're a libertarian, you call them a libertarian. If they're from Stormfront, you might call them a storm fag. If they suggest something vaguely of their own. If you somebody has somewhat left-leaning Keynesian economics, you call them a commie or something like that, effectively what you want to do is equate them to extremes, because extremes are less tolerable by the majority of people because they will disagree the most with it if they are of another position, and the people who are behind them will rally behind the people with the extremes because they have more to say, they have a stronger point. Number eight, claim your opponent has no agency and is a vessel for a sinister force, or alternatively, claim they are a hacker with some mysterious internet villain persona. For example, Russian bots or the dead internet theory shows that the opponent might be AI posters or the MPC narrative taken to an extreme. So if the opponent has no agency, then they can be held uh, responsible for their actions, right? That's the that's the way we see it. And it, their vessel for a sinister force means that, well, uh, the sinister force is the one acting through them. And if, this, if it's the greatest sinister force, it's different than just a person who believes in the sinister force, isn't it? If a citizen believes in an oppressive empire, then they believe in the oppressive empire. But when it's a soldier of the oppressive empire who is under doctrine, who's under contract, who is under oath to act out the words and the actions of the Empire well then we've got a different situation that way so claiming they're a hacker or some mysterious internet villain also gives that layer of you don't quite know who they are but you know that they're a threat it's a level of ambiguity and if you introduce more and more ambiguity into a threat to people from political manipulation and subversion's point of view but you substantiate that there is something to fear or there's some sort of threat there then people have a difficult time describing it but the more and more it appeals towards this emotional sense of an unquantifiable mystifying threat that is everywhere at once do you understand that that? I hope you do because you're probably victim to it too. Number nine, claim that a threat or discussion originator is shilling for a cause and then lure away the discussion into your purposefully shilled form area. So if you claim that people are shilling for something, corporate uh, bias or bias from some paid don't, some donator, right, is a big concern nowadays. So what you can claim is you're opponent is benefiting from this paid shilling or shilling maybe even doing it for free from an opposing cause right you can claim that and then by continuing to claim that people believe you you lure them away into a discussion which is actually where you are shilling for that group because now they trust you because you've taken the time to remove them from the antagonists so therefore they're in your arms it's like the it's like the idea of people who start fires to put them out but applied to appeal in public speaking number 10 project your opponent's arguments as views there's something they're not saying. Misrepresent them entirely if need be. This is an interesting one, because if you present your opponent's arguments and views as something they're not saying as quoted, then it could be anything. Everything's either a potato or not a potato, right? So you understand the principle behind that train of logic. And from that regard, you need to understand how to manipulate things here. You need to make them as close to the original arguments and views as you can, but you need to misrepresent them in some way. If you need to misrepresent them entirely, make it that it is an emotional display you make that will appeal to the crowd on a base emotional level. Get rid of reason, get rid of rationality. If there's a person. Over there, who's across the room, who was making suggestions on how to shepherd the people in. Uh, the church then stand up, and if you don't like them saying what they're saying, say that they're an agent of the devil and that they're speaking the words of the devil. So you have heard, and so you must testify. I'm not attacking Christianity. I'm just saying that as an example. The same thing could very much happen in Islam, and I imagine it has in any other religion too. Number eleven, make claim that your opponent is a shill for some enemy entity when you are in reality that enemy entity. So it's like before. Instead of being an agent for the enemy entity, you are that enemy entity. Two people fighting. You need to claim your opponent is a shill for the enemy entity the entity that may be something that is like a corporation or a body or maybe a person or you know what i mean something that is the enemy entity you need to make them out for being a shell for that group but you are in reality the enemy entity you're just in disguise i'm gonna use a fictional concept here imagine if it were the jedi and the jedi were being considered to be conspiring against the public because there were some jedi who were embracing the dark side of the force who was the one who is making these accusations who was calling for jedi to be restricted calling for Jedi to be put under watch and guard an investigation. Well, it's Palpatine. That's a fictional example, and I'm sorry for using one, but you may see it in real life. Number 12. Tell people to not bother reading or discussing the opponent's views or points of argument. Nowadays, we get into arguments with people who are never going to receive it, and they get into a position where today they will be experiencing a revelation of things, but tomorrow they will say the same thing they said the day before, and the day before that. The day before that, the same thing they've been repeating this whole time. Were they ever open discussion? Maybe. But they're not touting it now. Maybe they changed their mind overnight. Chances are they were never really going to learn. Then we have the argument to tell people to not bother or reading, discussing the opponent's views or points of argument. But the problem with this if we don't actually view it, even if people are not willing to discuss and reason, is that we don't know what's going on. You need to think of things like an observation kind of way if you really want to find out what people are doing, if they're not going to listen to you. But spreading out this idea to not look at them or to analyse them in any way. Is to spread out the idea to ignore it and just let it happen. And that's a horrible thing to do because you lose touch, you're out of the loop. It's a horrible thing to do. You lose touch, you are out of the loop. And being out of the loop is one of the worst things to be in politics because you've got to keep up with current affairs. That's about going to do it for now. I truly hope that this broadcast has been quality. And if there's any way that you wish to seek these out in real life, these things being executed, review politics for the past century, honestly. A lot of these have been used then and a lot of the analysis of such have been used then. If you can find in history somewhere, educate people. This is not designed as a project to take one side or the other, right or left, Christian, Muslim, Jewish, Buddhist, Taoist, whatever it is. There is no sides to this. I may use examples that are more so one side than the other when we talk about sides, but I am not going to be taking sides necessarily. I may endorse certain initiatives, certain actions, certain things that must be done, but I'm not going to be saying that I endorse the Conservatives or the Liberals. I'm not going to be saying that I endorse the Labor or the Greens. I'm not going to be saying that I endorse the Republicans or the Democrats. Please understand this. Thank you so much for listening, and hopefully you hear from me soon. Goodbye.